hymn written by Martin Luther. You would have thought it could have been written uh, this past week or this past year, 500 years ago. Such is the power of God's word. It is new every morning. Such is the power of those devotions and hymns that are so wrapped up with the word of God. On this Reformation Sunday, his grace, his mercy, and his peace. Ironic that on a Reformation Sunday, there are but two ingredients left in the fruit of the Spirit, and the second to the last is gentleness. How ironic that one lands on Reformation Sunday. I'll get to it in a moment. Those first three ingredients, final review, final review, I will not do this next week. Final review, the first three ingredients, uh, your relationship to God. Love for him, love, joy, peace, love for him. You're three years of age, you stumble down the stairs, you're in your pajamas, you wipe the sleep from your eyes. You sit down, but before you sit down, you run over to mom, give her a big hug. Run over to dad, give him a big hug, give him a kiss on the cheek. And then you sit down and you eat your breakfast. The two people you love more than anything on this earth, your mother and their father, they are sitting there at the table. And there is an enormous peace that overwhelms you because they are at the table. You love them dearly. All is right with the world. Let us pretend you are not three or four. Let us pretend you are a teenager or in your 30s or 50s or 70s and you got a whole lot of stuff going on in your life that you didn't when you were three or four years of age. You stumble down the stairs. You sit down at the breakfast table. The one whom you love, I pray, more than anything on this earth, is seated at that table. And you say, as part of your morning breakfast prayer, this is the day the guy sitting at the table has made. This is the day that God has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. First three ingredients, relationship to God, your love for him that reaches all the way to the soul, brings you joy, because he's not only seated at the table, but whatever commuter train, whatever school, whatever fraternity, whatever neighborhood, whatever situation will come on that day, that one sitting at the table will get up when you get up, and he'll be hand in hand with you the entirety of that day. Brings you joy and love for God and joy because of him will bring you peace. The middle ingredients, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, deal with your relationship with others. Patience, I need not say a word about kindness. Can't think of anything better to say than kindness, if you remember, is so profound that a blind person can see it. And kindness is so profound that a deaf person can hear kindness when it's in the room. And kindness uh, is so profound that the hungry can taste it. The food you fixed, feed my starving children, ten days later, it was in Haiti. 
if you read the email. Kindness is so powerful, hungry, can taste it. And it is so powerful that the hurting can feel it. He was beaten half to death there on the road, and the Good Samaritan stops. And though he's unconscious and he's beaten half to death, the hurting could feel kindness. Goodness is the ocean, kindness is a wave. Goodness is the soil of the garden. And kindness is a single flower that comes forth. Goodness is who you are, the essence of who you are. And kindness are the singular acts that will come forth from you. And I need not say that the deeper the soil of goodness exists in you, the more those acts of kindness come forth. To family, to friends, to acquaintances, to strangers, and to even your enemies. By the time the Spirit does his work. The last three, your relationship with the person you looked at in the mirror an hour ago. God others you. Pastor Schauer preached last week on faithfulness. That's about you. You need to be faithful to you. You need to be faithful to you and your family's name. If you're walking some path that is contrary to the path God wants you on, and his word lets you know that, and if you're walking some path contrary to the path he wants you to walk on, you got friends and family who come up to you and say, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And if the word doesn't affect you, and if you have families and friends you brush aside, then you have something inside of you that never really is quiet. This path you're walking contrary to God that has you all shackled up. You're stumbling along in mud and half lies and quicksands. And even though you've been stumbling around in it perhaps for years, your conscience every once in a while screams forth. This is not who you are. Be faithful to who you are. This is not who you are. Get back on the path God would have you walk. Be faithful to yourself. Be faithful to your family name. That's commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with thee. Thou mayest live long on this earth. If you're walking the path God would have you walk, your mom and dad, proud of you. Joy over who you are and what you're doing. But if you're walking a path contrary, you bring no honor to your family's name. And if your mom and dad find out what path you're walking breaks their hearts, be faithful to yourself and be faithful to your family name. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to God. He gives you everything. Life and breath and being. He gives you everything. Your health, your strength, your peace, your family, your occupation. He gives you everything. Be 
faithful to God. And now the fruit of the Spirit on this Reformation Sunday. Gentleness. Gentleness doesn't deal primarily with your dealings towards God. Though if you're gentle with yourself, you become gentle with God, not so angry at Him. And if you're gentle with yourself, you'll be gentle with others. It just happens to be that way. The more gentle you are with yourself, the less judgmental you are with others. Be gentle with yourself. When we started this series eight weeks ago, I said as an overview, I said when we come to gentleness, you'll find out on that particular Sunday that there is no one harder on you than you. Unless you're living with a psychopath, there is no one who beats you up more than you beat yourself up. There is no one more critical of you than you are of yourself. You and I torture ourselves endlessly. We come down to the breakfast table. We see God sitting at the breakfast table. We say, this is a day you've made. We give him a huge hug and a smile. And then we leave that breakfast table and we torture ourselves with two things that define who we are. The one thing is fear. And the other thing is worry. We say good morning to God. We say this is a day that God has made. But we really don't trust him. We look at ourselves and we lose confidence. I'm fearful. I'm worried about what's going to happen today or next week or next month or with my health or with my finance or with my job, with my family. We are not gentle with ourselves. We have this power called God. But we are so unkind to ourselves that we put him on a shelf and we be consumed with some circumstance in our life. And if you say fear or worry is not my problem, then perhaps shame and guilt is your problem. Another gentleman two weeks ago, and when I asked the family to leave the room, and I say to him, is there anything that causes you fear standing in front of God? Some sin 20 years ago, some sin. And I say to him, did you confess the sin to God? And he said, yes, I did. And I said, why didn't you believe that God forgave that sin? And he said, well, I kind of, sort of believed it. But the more I thought about it, it always come back to haunt me. I feel so badly about the persons that I hurt. I keep revisiting that date. He's got the date that it happens. And he said what well, we all said. If I only had that moment to live over again, I could die in peace. And I said to him, you can die in peace anyway. And we went through the verses in the Bible that deal with forgiveness. 
And I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit worked on him, that he finally grasped that the moment he asked God to forgive him, that sin was trampled on the feet of God. Micah seven eighteen, and as soon as God had trampled it under his feet, then he picked it up and threw it into the depths of the sea. Why do you think David wrote what he wrote in Psalm 103? Why do you think he wrote, My sins taken by God and removed from me as far as east is from the west. Why did he write it? Because he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and when she became pregnant, he has the husband Uriah killed. That's why he writes it. Very next chapter, 2 Samuel 13. David punishing himself so badly that he wants to die. When Nathan confronts him with his sin, he confesses his sin. Nathan comes to him and he says, David, stop torturing yourself. Stop torturing yourself. Your sin is forgiven by God. You shall not die. You have confessed the sin to God. Be gentle with yourself. When the power of the devil comes and he whispers, you ought to be really afraid. (laughs) You ought to be really worried. If Jesus defeated the power of the devil, you say, get out of here. You be gentle with yourself. You embrace God. And if Satan comes, power of the devil, and he whispers to you, God can never forgive that sin. You've hurt too many people. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. Get out of here, Satan. My sin was forgiven the moment it was confessed by God. Be gentle with yourself. No one's so critical as you are on yourself. Our famous words, right? If only I was smarter. If only I was pretty as my sister. If only I was loquacious like my son is. If only I was smarter. If only, if only, if only, if only I'd gone to a different school. If only I was married, I'd be happy. If only we had children, I'd be happy. If only my mom hadn't got breast cancer when I was eight years of age. If only my father hadn't left us when we were 12. If only, if only, if only, if only. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Ecclesiastes 5.19. You hear it from me a couple of times a year. If God gives any man life on this earth, if God gives any man wealth, and I'm not talking about money, if God gives any man wealth and life and possessions and enables them to accept their lot in life, he enables them to accept their circumstances in life and to be happy in that life, this is a gift from God. Such a person does not dwell on fear. Such a person does not dwell on shame or guilt. Such a person is happy with their circumstance in life. My favorite verse, because it is so difficult. Be gentle on yourself. Whoever you are, that's who God's made you. Whatever your circumstance,
God is there. He knows. Be gentle on yourself. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote a book, House of Seven Gables. He had a paragraph in there I've never, 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 never forgotten. I look at it quite often. It says in Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, The main character had a past he was very, very, very ashamed of. And Hawthorne wrote in that book that this individual carried the past like a dead corpse. When a body dies, we bury the body. We do not take it with us day after day, wherever we go. The main character in Nathaniel Hawthorne's book, he had his past and he carried it like a dead corpse. It was a heavy weight upon him. I talked to a gentleman some ten days ago. He, his life has been ruined of his own admission by his own behaviors. But as he sits in my office and as he worships here often, he says, I believe with all my heart that God has forgiven my sin and those I've hurt, God is watching over, guarding and protecting them. I know he is. I know he is. He said, I can't however forget what I've done. I said, 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, he said, I prayed three times that God would remove this situation from me. And I said to him, do you know what the situation was? And I was amazed at how well he knew the Bible. He said, I've looked at that verse, Pastor. And I believe he's talking about all the people that he hurt before he became a Christian. Uh, assenting to the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, capturing Christians, torturing them, murdering them. And this gentleman sitting across from my desk is sitting there saying, certainly don't you think, Pastor, that he was so worried that when he got to heaven, these people whose lives he had torn apart were going to look at him. And maybe he woke up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat over what he had done. I said to him, I believe you've got that right. And what the Apostle Paul wrote, he said, I forget what is behind me. And I move on for the kingdom. And this gentleman said, that's what I need to do. I need to forget what is behind me. Gentleness. Reformation Sunday. Martin Luther brutalized himself. Martin Luther would have done well to have experienced gentleness, and he did. Martin Luther once wrote, When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years. With daily sacrifice, I tortured myself. That's the word he used. I tortured myself with starvation and fasting and vigils and prayers and beatings, lying naked on cold stone floors for days and weeks on end, climbing stairs on my knees till I bled. I tortured myself almost to death because when I looked in the mirror, I saw someone so ugly and so vile that even God couldn't love him. And when he began to see in the book of Romans that he was saved by grace, not by his works, 
when he realized that Jesus had paid the price for his salvation on the cross, when he realized how gentle God was to the sinner, then Luther could begin to be gentle with himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, Come to me if you are tortured by anything. Come to me. Give me what tortures you. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And I will give rest to your soul. Why in the world did Jesus use the word gentle? I am gentle and humble in heart. Why in the world did he use it? Because he realized how ungentle we are with ourselves. And he wants you to know when you come to him, gentleness, forgiveness, grace, that's God. Gentle to Moses when he kills the Egyptian, gentle to Abraham, gentle to King David, gentle to 12 disciples, gentle to Simon Peter, gentle to the prodigal son, gentle to Jonah, gentle to Samson, gentle to all. Bring to me that which tortures you, for I am gentle in hearts. Closing word. When you and I learn to be gentle with ourselves and we're gentle with God, not so angry at him as often as we are, why do you allow that to happen? Why did Pennsylvania happen? Why are the elections so nasty? Why are they not gentle with each other? We're all in the same country for Pete's sake. You're not so angry at God if you learn to be gentle with yourself. You know how gentle he is. And then if you're gentle with yourself, you're gentle with others. So a quote a number of years ago, the person said to Marianne Williamson, the world is a brutal place. And she said to him, If you're brutal, the world will be brutal back. If you're gentle, the world will be gentle back. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind, tender-hearted, gentle with each other, even as God is gentle with you. Philippians 4, Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is near. And then that which you saw on the screen to start the service. Proverbs 14, 29. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but an angry word stirs up wrath. Be as gentle with yourself as God is. Be gentle with others. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? Heavenly Father, help us with that eighth ingredient of the fruit of the Spirit. Because if there is a love for God and a joy because of Him and a peace because of Him, then, Lord, gentleness, if we feel it from God, we should flood it with ourselves as the Holy Spirit does His work. And then that gentleness moves out in great waves and touches the lives of others. 
May it be so, Heavenly Father, for the sake of your kingdom on this earth, in our Savior's name. Amen.